Live, is it happening? Oh, it's a bit weird not having a guest. I can't hear. I've not got the feedback. Can everyone hear me? Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm gonna put these in. Uh, oh my goodness me. Oh, hello, everyone. Wait a minute. Let's do this. Let's do this. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, welcome to Rail Matter. Uh, am I on time? Uh -huh. uh, lots of people. Lots of people in the chat already, which is nice. Uh, welcome, one and all. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I'm looking a bit frizzy. It's because I cycled this morning after I had a shower. You can all hear me. Hear me nice and clear. That's good. Excellent. It's been a hell of a week, and it's only Wednesday, and um, everyone's angry at me. Oh, it's... Anyway, but none of you want to hear about that. It's not interesting. All we know is that the Green Party are an anti-rail party, which is surreal, strange, but, um, I mean fairly on 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 brand at the moment for them so uh so yeah best of luck to them as a party i shall continue banging the drum and infiltrating as much as i can but um there's only so much you can do to help right anyway um so uh yeah that was i'm gonna call that an on time uh yeah so a little bit of a format well not a format change i've just rejiggled the rejiggled the timings a bit to give it a bit more structure mm. maybe something thumping Bang, that's because I'm holding this bottle of water and I'm drinking from it on, on stream because, you know, what would you expect from me? Uh, but also, it's a bit dingy. I need, I desperately need to get myself a big LED thing to illuminate this like it's daytime because this setup is uh, it's a little dingy, isn't it? A little bit dingy. If any of you had been to that, some of you watching may have... Have any of you watching, listening, been here to this house? No, probably not. Anyway, you'd know that this is a bit more of a, cor a whole corner than it, than it looks. But anyway... We're, tonight we're talking about. Let's let's go back to the screen, shall we? Tonight we're talking about a subject very close to my heart. We're going to be talking about level boarding. Um, it's something that I've wanted to. Basically, this is going to be the first in a long series of different because this is a, a massive, complicated, and important issue, and it's an issue that I can only give one perspective on. So we're going to have people joining us to talk about this. Not tonight, but in the future. I'm hoping Katie Pennick will join us. Um, it'd be nice to get. Actually, there are lots of people. It'd be nice to get a certain other uh, character within the rail industry to join us. Um, Dave, if you get, if you're going to, David, if you're going to be on, uh, if you're on this, you're getting a mention later on, just as an FYI. I should have had, given you a heads up, but anyway, uh, yeah, such is life. So let's crack that one. Let's let's let me have a gulp of this. Right, high quality, professional as ever, and let's let's crack on. Let's see where we're at. So. Um, oh yeah, first of all, the news! Yay! Uh, progress has won. Uh, the Pride Train is going to be called the Progress Train. Avanti's Pride Train, um, wonderfully liveried, I think it's brilliant, uh, is going to be... Uh, it's going to... It's, it's going to be called... It is called. It's been named already. It's called the Progress Train. I think there's going to be a more... F a, a bigger... Maybe a bigger hoo-ha later in the year, but certainly it's... Or early next year, but certainly it is now... It's called the Progress Train. It has a nameplate, which is very exciting. It's very pretty. Uh, and also means a hell of a lot to a hell of a lot of people. Uh, there's 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 the story about um, so yeah. I'm not going to rerun this. Basically, there's a lot of uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good good stuff that's happened to this already. Um, uh, with who was associated with um, not just the person whose name was associated, you know, who 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 won the competition essentially, who's who's kind of uh, name was pulled out of the hat, but uh, also everyone else who was behind it. Uh, behind the campaign, which meant that lots of people put their, the names in, which meant there was a better chance of this one winning. So I'm very happy about this because I think um, 
a train name, if it was going to be a person's name, it would have reduced it to one group. I think the fact that it's uh, name progress means that it's for lots of people. So that's exciting. Some happy news for the week. Um, I've not put the COVID stats in because uh, I haven't had time to. But also the story is of that everything's slowing down again. So um, I'll put it up next week, but I think it'll say much the same story as it did last week. Oh, yes. So and this is relevant to today's chat. Uh, Nexus are fiddling with their platforms. The Yeah, so I was, at the start of the project, I was design lead on this. Uh, this is what happens when you do, when you introduce new trains, you have to adjust all the platforms. And actually, the the, the, the Tiny Metro system is already pretty good for this. Uh, and their their standards are a bit, they're still pretty flexible in honesty. But there are a few parts where the, 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 the step isn't good enough. And so Nexus basically is part of their contract to Stadler in saying, look, you introduced these new trains, here's our part of the bargain. Part of that was that the platforms would all be within a certain level of compliance, which they weren't. So we, we surveyed them all. This is pretty standard for all sorts of different rolling stock on you know metros, but also on the mainline network, big time on the mainline network. And it occupies a hell of a lot of my time. New train arrives and it doesn't quite fit because the platforms are like non-compliant in a sl- in a way that the train doesn't like and non- whereas the previous train didn't mind that non-compliance which means you have to go out and adjust them all that's just absolutely standard and it costs a lot of money and we always fr- fritter around the edges and we spend millions of pounds debating how little work to do on the platforms like honestly the amount of money that is wasted in discussions on how little platform we can possibly do are frightening so um Ah, welcome to those listening live for the first time. Welcome, welcome. Um, I should probably do something. Wait a minute. Let's let's go. Let's do this. So while you're all there in the chat, hello to all of you. Uh, hello to anyone who's who's having their first, who's in their first uh, rail matter. Um, uh, welcome. I'm going to go. This is live on Twitter uh, right now uh, because that's that's how much of a pro I am. Um, there we go. So. What's, what is frustrating, though, is that this news article, which this, as I said, this is standard for new rolling stock because of the, their approach to, to platforms. The comments are completely baffling. So um, there we are. So all sorts of questions about, uh, you know, if buses can be lowered for disabled access on curbs, can the same not be done by metros? That's not actually as crazy as it, as it sounds. Um, surely when designing trains, you'd make them fit the existing stations. Why would track needs to be raised, lowered at others? How does that work? Uh, you know, no, that's because platforms are different heights. Uh, should have got them built in our country anyway, so we can. Oh gosh, Ugh, sod off. Uh, hard to believe what I read. What I read. Why was the train not as well? It's not that simple. Uh, they'll go into administration before new trains are released. Oh, optimistic there from DC Fitzgerald 2002. Um, and then Busy Boy has the finest one, which is uh, oh good, the free traveling morons will have a nice train to destroy, uh, and so the metro will continue to be the losers' express. Wonderful. Uh, all that tells is never to read the comments on local news websites. But other than that, um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about platforms. And actually, whilst I'm laughing at these comments, it's amazing how similar some of the attitudes are on, in the comments to some people within industry and government when it comes to this subject. Uh, so I am going to hopefully uh, slash that up a bit. Before I do the, before I go into the credits, though, or the intro, that, that before I do that. I just want to catch, I just want to catch, like make a, make a point. This is going to be, there, there are a few people who make a tremendous fuss about this, 
uh, and hopefully this is going to really annoy them. So uh, <laughs> I've had discussions with people who make uh, who who really do, and that includes some people in in positions of power, who really do not see this as the critical issue that it is, and. Um, Hopefully, this will be a way to um, to skewer that prejudice. In any case, uh, all I can now say is um, we're going to get started. Uh, welcome to, to this week's Rail Natter, and hopefully it'll be an interesting one. this picture up and I'm going to tell you all about what this picture is momentarily oh the music's not worked oh that's that's um oh that is frustrating why has that happened uh, so I've just stood silence for, silent for a bit I wonder why that's happened that's very strange I have no idea uh well that's sad I will hmm I'll fix that in post maybe possibly uh anyway right we can't um we can't we can't sing uh we, we can't sing the tune posthumously let's go through the chat why has that not worked yeah oh, god that, i'm told you, you just can't get you can't get the staff these days so let's have a look um ah oh, sunal divert uh on the youtubes uh is saying speaking of the new style of trains uh He's been asked to plug the, the hashtag Metro Futures public consultation, which is still ongoing. Go and go and get involved in that, people of Tyne and Weir, uh, and indeed beyond. Go and get involved. Um, we've already got questions about standard platforms and all this sort of stuff. Let's um, let we'll get there. Don't worry, we'll get there. Uh, right, let's keep going. Uh, do, 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 do. Ah, there's lots of upset shot. People are unhappy about the intro music. That's that's it's frustrating. Uh, I know it's a disaster. Right, so. No, this is not the original King's Cross. On screen right now, we have a... Um, basically, we have a very old... One of the earliest stations... Um, certainly the earliest station on a modern railway, or one of two. Uh, this is the original Liverpool station. Uh, I believe this is the... In fact, let me just... I can find. I think this is Liverpool Station. Why now? Why you might ask? Why? Why do I not know that immediately? Well, it's because it's because uh, I have had a mind blank. In any case, this I think I believe this is um, the, the the Liverpool terminus of the uh, Liverpool. In fact, yeah, it is isn't it? Liverpool Manchester Railway because you can see the tunnels in the background. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this this is what stations look like. Sorry, I've got distracted because of the music, and I'm basically in my head. I'm currently thinking now, how did that not work? And it's like a line of thought that I can't shift. I'm not going to worry about it for now. We'll come to that later. Uh, and I'm going to stop erring. This is a station. And as you can see, it has a platform of sorts. It has this little... This, let's, let's, let's go in here and, and just click this. Uh, let's get this up here. You can see it's got, it's got a little sort of step there, a little step uh, above here. So it's got a bit of a platform height there. Lovely. Um, bit of a height. Uh, you can see that the train has a floor height here. So the floor height, there's a platform height, and there's obviously a gap. There, there's kind of a gap between the two. Um, so that gap, this gap here, is 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 you know, this is nothing new. This is very much nothing new. 
Um, I think it might be Edge Hill, yes. I think this is the original Edge Hill station, uh, Sarah. Yes, uh, good shout. So uh, thanks, everyone, in the in the chat. Uh, I'm all of it is, given that my uh, tech has collapsed. Uh, not only is this picture just fascinating, but I think the key you know, it's one of the earliest images of a of a mod, well, you know a very early image of a modern railway station, uh, modern in inverted commas. Oh, I tell you what, let's 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 do this. Let's let's uh, let's get my face up. Hello, everyone. I'm I'm back. I'm in the corner. I'm in the corner. So. Oh, um, well, we're doing 1913. Right. Anyway, so the reason I put this picture up is because it showed, you know, early, early platforms already there's an issue. But actually, if we skip. So this is a this is um, 1830. We skip forward um, not very long at all. You know, just 20 years. This is 1855. Lightcliff Station um, on the where is this? Is this the LSWR? I don't I don't know. And I'm not particularly in uh, where's Lightcliff Station. Everyone get Googling. Um, so you can see here that the. You know, this is this is. I mean, firstly, this is a station that we all recognise. So it didn't take very long for the railway to start looking very much like a railway. But an interesting thing here is, again, you can see, not only have we got uh, there's still a you know a, a distance between uh, top and bottom of uh, you know between the the, the the track and the platforms, a bit of a step there. But also, you can see here they've started introducing these. They've got these coping stones. These these things here, these blocks, these stones uh, at the edge of the platform. So very platforms start looking like how they're supposed to look pretty early on. Now, why am I talking about platforms and stations in the olden days? Well, particularly because I'm going to reference this journal here, the Journal of the Franklin Institute, which is um, an American institute, but it's basically about like mechanics and engineering and um, you know civil engineering and various bits and pieces, mathematics and all sorts of good stuff. Um, and this is a, a, a so we're going to look at uh, the 1865 uh, edition of the journal. And we're going to look at some extracts. Oh wait, it's live. It's uh, Lancashire, Yorkshire, Lightcliffe, Halifax, Halifax, Bradford. Sarah's uh, setting me right uh, today. Very much, thank you. So I'm going to take this quote. So this is a quote from 1865. So only briefly after that picture, actually, ten years after the picture, uh, and only uh, four, uh, 35 years into the life of the railways, uh, the modern railway system that is. Another question was the frequent loss of life that occurred at station platforms from persons getting in or out of carriages. And that's uh, that's from the journal here. Uh, and if we then look at, let's pull another quote out. <clears throat> there we go. All the platforms should be built up to the level of the flooring of the carriages, and that a dangerous space between the platform and the carriages ought not to exist. That seems reasonable enough. Bearing in mind this is 1865. Uh, there is this is this is one of possibly my favourite quote. There was a great want of uniformity in the height of railway platforms. So yeah, it's a familiar one. Uh, and then this one, this is this is a long one. So forgive the fact that you're going to have to deal with my dodgy accent for another, uh, you know, for for many words. However, thoughtless or stupid the public might be, they found that casualties from falling between the edge of the platform and the carriages frequently occurred to the servants of the companies who might be supposed to know the danger that existed so that so the chap here that's making the case in the journal is trying to he's trying to state the fact that this this isn't just a safety issue because people don't know how to use the train this is an issue that the that the actual staff of the railway company uh, are facing and, and they're falling down this gap so it's not just stupidity the gap is one that is unsafe this is 1865 this is being identified now the response that came from, um, I think, a representative of multiple companies rather than a, of a single company. But basically, the engineer then responded like this. Wait a minute, if it's the Lancashire... Where, where, where's, this, where's this person going to be from? Uh, let me have a think. 
With regard to the complaint that the platforms were not placed at a uniform, convenient height, it must be remembered that railways were not the system of a day. They had gradually grown up, and improvements had succeeded from time to time. In making a new station, such as the Charing Cross, the directors had adopted a higher platform. The Brighton station was built many years ago, but he had no doubt when it became necessary to make new stations, the directors of that company would follow the example of their neighbours, the Southeastern. Well, I'm just going to highlight one point here. Uh, this phrase, railways were not the system of a day. This was being used in 1865 as an excuse for a shoddy platform train interface. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that already this was becoming, this was developing as an issue. So this is nothing, this is not a new issue. This is not something that all of a sudden, oh, we've, you know, uh, this is uh, some, some new issue. We've had the issue of not building our railway system very well, right from the off. And it, it comes as a consequence of some of the other challenges we had with the railway, which is that the railways weren't intended and were never seen as being one system. They were seen as pockets of individual, uh, you know, individual mercantile effort, but they were not seen as one single system. And that, that was essentially an emerging behavior. It was a behavior that no one had predicted that became an almost critically important one. And arguably the main advantage of the railways is very much that, that they were one system. Um, Brunel didn't notice that, by the way. In any case, uh, the railways, yeah, the fact that they're, they're still caught, this, this problem, you know, 1865, is, is, this is an issue very, very, very quickly became a major problem for the railways. Anyway. So we're going to talk about that problem tonight. We're going to talk talk about three. There are three things we're going to go through. We're going to go through um, what the problem is. So what the hell am I talking about? We're going to talk about why it's a problem. Why 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 is there a, so so basically what is the problem? What why is level boarding being talked about? What what's the issue? We're going to talk about why that the lack of level boarding, the complete lack of level boarding, is a problem. And then we're going to talk about how we solve that problem, uh, which is by introducing and and rolling out level boarding. But how do we actually achieve that? Well, hopefully we'll go into it. Um, so, first of all, what is the problem? What am I on about? Uh, and it's going to involve a lesson. Uh, it's going to involve um, talking about gauging. I'm so sorry, everyone. It's going to involve talking about gauging. Um, and so to start with, gauging is the process by which you work out two... It's basically that you uh, make sure that two sausage shapes don't actually contact each other. Um the first sausage shape is the, the space uh, that the infrastructure provides for trains to fit within. That's your bigger sausage. And you don't want the smaller sausage, which is the shape within which trains might be, uh, to touch that, that other sausage. So it's very important that the sausages do not touch. Um, we're going to talk about... So the infrastructure is kind of pretty straightforward. You know, uh, you measure where the infrastructure is and you make sure that you don't hit it. It's a little more complicated than that for the... Okay, there are some there's, there's some bells and whistles to that, but broadly, it's pretty straightforward. There are some complexities or more complexities associated with working out the sausage shape that the trains might fill. Uh, and we're going to talk about that because it's really important to this discussion to start with. So technical stuff, which means I need to refer back to my lecture slides. So I'm sure you'll forgive me for going back into boring slides mode. You can tell because it's got serious fonts, not a cabin sketch. Anyway, so there are four different types of gauging, four different types of gauging. One of them is... Um, so gauging is, by the way, is uh, is what we call gauge clearance assessment. And that's nothing to do with track gauge. It's to do with loading gauge. So that's the space between, you know, trains and things around trains. So firstly, structure clearance. So as I said, that's the space around trains, uh, to, to the sort of space to make sure that trains fit without hitting things. Uh, the next one is passing clearance. That's the space between trains. That's making sure trains don't hit each other. So structure clearance, trains not hitting stuff next to the railway. 
or uh, you know trains not hitting things passing clearance trains not hit each other uh, the third one is stepping clearance so that's um managing the interface between uh, uh, platforms so actually this is the opposite of the others in that you want this to be the smallest um this is the the by far the smallest um uh, sorry, you want to minimise it. I'm getting distracted because I, I, a certain a certain character who is about to get referenced in here is um, uh, unable to join the chat. That's all right, uh, sir. But you're in the, you're in here and you're about to get referenced. That's fine. Let's see, it's live. You know, we've got my got my phone with the cracked screen that I need to fix. It's all it's all good. Right. So next, the last the, the, so the last of these four different types of clearances. Uh, my face is in the way. Actually, let's get rid of my face briefly. Uh, is electrical clearance. So that's making sure that there is enough space between trains and stuff around trains that you don't get flashover. That's also important. So uh, your train might be miles away in terms of hitting, but if you've got some live equipment either attached to the train or attached to the to the infrastructure, um, you don't need, you don't want to get too close to that because you end up with making a circuit and things go bang. So that's bad. So we're going to talk about. Um, Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about trains. Here we are. Many different types of train. There we are. A, a Pendolino, a, a 31A, a 66 hauling some tankers, tanker wagons, um, a Class 345 for Crossrail, a Class 158, beautiful thing there. And then the, one of the newest locomotives running on the railway. Actually, it does, not quite anymore, but a Tornado there hauling some Mark 1s. Lovely. Uh, all of these different trains have different behaviors, the different shapes. And so the space that they take up uh, can change. And so we have to understand exactly how that, um, basically, this process I'm about to tell you is how we work out what that space is. We're talking about the little sausage, the smaller sausage. How do we work out what space that is? Um, because it isn't just their outline. When they're moving, they bounce around, you know, they're sort of swinging from one side to the other, suspension's bouncing them, all sorts of different things that means that the train isn't just where it's stationary, you know, where it would not be sat stationary. So you have to think about what that shape looks like. Um, so here's a here's here's alien or predator depending on which way you're inclined. It's the uh, the DV or the, the driving trailer of a Mark Five A. Uh, so what we do to first first thing we do is we measure the profile, the static profile of the vehicle. Uh, so you know we get get one at the vehicle end. You maybe get the, the kind of the extreme end, the buffer end if it's got a weird shape like this. Uh, you do it in the middle because it might have things like aerials. So you can see here, there's got like a this bit of an aerial here. There's, there's an aerial, um, and, and you know it's got it's also got this kit underneath as well that kind of takes up space. You've also got to capture the things like ladders and sort of you know the yaw dampers are an issue, and you know you've got you've got all this kit here. You got this thing. You got these little widgets and this doodad and this this door handle here all these things you've got to know where they are and we measure their position uh, relative to sort of the so you've got the center line of the bogies here and then you've got a position here and then you've got a midpoint here and you kind of measure everything relative to that and that gives us the, what's called the static profile is everyone with us are we there we've got people second guessing what i'm about to talk about uh, allison's already on it allison you're absolutely right uh, i'm not going to read it out because you'll spoil it but yeah anyway this is it's, it's all happening so that's the static profile, but that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's only the start. Uh, the next thing we need to do is, well, think about the fact that when you build a train, you don't build it perfectly. The panelling maybe isn't quite flush. Oh, let's get my face back again. You know, let's, let's do that. Here I'm, 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 although I'm here in the corner. Um, the panelling might not be quite flush or, um, you know, uh, there are things like, you know, the, the wheels eventually wear a bit or there's um, uh, sort of the suspension sort of flexes and, and different variables to how, how, how many people are in the train. All these different things can change. Uh, you know, we, we call these, basically we call these the, let's click the button, the vehicle tolerances, which we add them on. So there's a little bit of fat that goes around the static profile. They're the vehicle tolerances. Now, on top of that, when trains go around curves, they behave in certain ways. This isn't a very high-res image. I'm sure I have a 
1920, a 1080p one. Anyway, let's not worry about that. So, um, when you, trains go around a curve, they impart inwards and outwards accelerations. I'm not going to go into Kant and explain all about those things, but basically what that means is that when a train goes around a curve, the effective shape it has changes depending on what speed it's going. So, for example, if it's going really, really fast, um, i.e. maximal Kant deficiency, look that up, uh, hashtag P-Way book, the, uh, you get the, you know, sort of lots of outwards acceleration, and that ends up basically pulling the vehicle out to one side. Whereas if it goes to that curve at, at trundle speed, uh, so almost kind of not, not moving, um, i.e. is in Kant excess, you get inwards acceleration into the curve, and that essentially makes the train, kind of expands the shape of the train inwards. And so you end up with this shape, uh, this kind of big yellow blobby shape here that I've, that, that I've kind of sketched out. And what we call that is, we call those the dynamic movements. So those dynamic movements are based on the speed the train's going through a curve, and those add onto this, onto these. So you've got static profile vehicle tolerances and the dynamic movements. Uh, that's not the end of the story, though. There is one other behavior we haven't captured. So here we've got some nice curved track, and we've got a nice vehicle going through here with um, with its boat. You can see it's got two rather crudely drawn bogies. I've done a better drawing for this for a Railways Explained thread. I should have um, should have just used that graphic, shouldn't I? Never, never mind. I literally should have used that graphic. Well, note to self, when I do this episode in um, in six years, when everyone's forgotten about it, I'll, I'll swap it out. In any case, you can see if you get... I, also, I've got Hornby trains downstairs that I could like wheel along and do a video above and show how it works. In any case, when a train goes around a curve, um, you end up with this sort of strange effect where the ends of the vehicle stick out one way, so they stick out into the outside of the curve. That's called end throw. And the middle of the vehicle, because essentially what you're doing is drawing a straight line between the, the centres of the bogies um, and the... Uh, you know, between the two centers of bogies, so the mid that means that the middle of the vehicle throws to the throws to the inside of the curve. That's called center throw, and these two behaviors together are called overthrow, curve overthrow, and they generally add quite a lot of fat, particularly tight in tight curves, to our vehicle. So so you get these static profile, the vehicle tolerances, the dynamic movements, and curve overthrow all add up to give us the kinematic envelope. Allison, you get points, many bonus points. Um, so yes, this is this is how this works. So, um, do we? Uh, John Christoph asked an interesting question. I've been ignoring all the questions so far, but um, John Christoph, do you also have to take into account structure defects in the P-way? Uh, yes. So we often include those in the vehicle tolerances, actually. So um, so yeah, the vehicle tolerances will include often include track tolerances as well. Um, but that kind of that can depend on the approach you take to gen uh, depends on the different standards and, and what approach you take to the gauging. Um, there we go. So that's the kinematic envelope. So the kinematic envelope essentially allows us to d calculate that it's that smaller sausage. So once you've scanned your infrastructure with a laser sweep or whatever it is, um, if that kinematic envelope, which includes all the possible movements of where that vehicle can be, um, if it fits, then you're you're onto a winner. But that doesn't answer the question, does it? So let's go into what the PTI. What is the PTI? Well, okay, so the PTI, we're already at half past seven, good stuff. The PTI is, um, well, here is a, here's, a, here's a sort of a slice through a platform and uh, a very crudely drawn train that's got a really rapid sort of curvature, but uh, don't worry about that, it's my sketching. So uh, the platform and the train. And at the edge of the platform, we have, there's a, a little point. So this point at the edge of the platform, uh, the, so it's the top sort of surface of the platform uh, and the, the furthest kind of corner away from the platform or kind of towards the track is called a platform edge. And we generally consider this to be a kind of a single point, actually, when we're looking at a cross section. Likewise, there's a single point that we call the train, that's the train footstep. So that's the upper surface of the footstep. Now, the interface between these two is what we call 
the platform train interface, the PTI. And that interface is actually really complicated for a variety of reasons, uh, which we're going to get into. So, so how does that look in terms of uh, infrastructure only? Because obviously, you know, you don't always have a train there to see. So, so the PTI from an infrastructure perspective is defined as the as the position of the running edge. So that's on the track. So we've got a nice set of uh, rails on top of a sleeper here with the platform next to it, the running edge, um, and the platform edge, and it's the uh, the horizontal and vertical offset to those between those two points. So between the platform and the and the, the the rail essentially so horizontally we have what we call the platform x that's the horizontal offset and the vertical offset is called the platform y uh, or the the height of the platform pretty straightforward so that's fine so that's x and y platform x platform y gives us our position of the platform edge everyone following so far um there we are uh yes there we go nice sounds like maths lots of people following uh, if you're a missile PTI, if you didn't need it, want it or ask for it. Thanks, Musa Zero. Very good. Um, yes, Alison Wheeler, you got prizes. Oh, there we are. So, uh, yes, that's a very good point. Bjarn has just said life would be easier if they made all platforms straight. Very good point. So, this is a straight-ish platform, except that you can see even with straight platforms. You see that? See this here? It's not that. The trouble with straights is that actually infra infrastructure is pretty hard to keep straight. You can see the platform is wibbling here. This is uh, Wimbledon, I think, which I was in the process of surveying or couldn't because there was a blinking works train going back and forth. But um, this is, you know, as you can see, this is actually a very difficult platform to adjust because it's got stupid Southern Railway harp units, um, which are a pig to do anything with. But broadly, it's all right. But actually, you can see here there's a bit of a there's a kind of a very long wavelength curve in the platform surface. It, it becomes very tricky to maintain these things, even when they're straight. So you can imagine that when they become curved, it's even more of a nightmare. So in the UK, there are 6,000 platforms, and only about, what is it, about a third of them are straight. So that's two-thirds of, so that's 4,000 platforms of 6,000 in the UK-ish that are on curves. This is Scarborough, which is one of the more extreme. You can see a very curvy bit of track here uh, with the very curvy platforms. Oh, it's horrible. It's an absolute mess. It's just, yeah, horrible. Um, so, so yeah, so straights are hard enough in terms of overall maintainability. But, yeah, broadly, if you maintain it well, you're all right. Curves are more of a nightmare. So how do we deal with curves? How does that interface deal with curves? Well, here's a sketch. You can see here I've got the platform. Well, the platform surface is, okay, my sketch is flat. Generally, actually, it should curve. It should uh, sort of slat, slope away from the from the uh, from the track but so i've got two platforms here so arguably this is like a single track bay platform you know single track platform with with sort of two flanking platforms either side of it just to sort of show in a very exaggerated way how the, those platform offsets work well we measure them uh platform xy's are measured in what we call plane of rail so actually because of, if you think about it a train is sat on the track so the, the world of the train is actually rotated to the plane of the rails so that means that you measure your xy's to that plane so the platform x and y's are measured like this so the world rotates um but the train doesn't and so you get those x's and y's like that so so that does that make sense everyone following does that all make good sense there we are lovely uh marvelous blow up the banana platform says david shepherd uh cljb bendy says ellie the developer um yes uh this is <laughs> yes right so uh, curvature does indeed add further complexity to the interface, uh, particularly when it comes to doors and curve overthrow. We'll, we'll come to that later. So the next question is, what are the current requirements? What, 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 where, where should that interface be? And are there indeed any single defined requirements? Well, um, let's have a look at the standards first. So 
this is a station and I'm going to look at, so this is, this is expanding, not just looking at that narrow interface between the footstep and the platform, but it's actually looking at the bigger picture. So looking at some of the other things that impact on safety in that interface and sort of things that engineers have to think about. I'm going to hammer through these. So we have uh, the infrastructure TSI and uh, GIRT 7016. We have uh, 7016 and 7073 that define height and offset. So, sorry, uh, track and platform curvature, are the, uh, the TSI and 7016. 7016 and 7073 define the platform height and the offset. Uh, 7073 defines the gauge clearance of the vehicle. Uh, the footstep position is defined by the PRM TSI, so that's persons who reduce mobility, uh, and GMRT 2173. Um, the uh, GLRT 1210, everyone's favorite, uh, defines electrical clearance. Uh, and uh, the uh, uh, so one of the RISs, so, um, one of the uh, rail industry standard uh, sort of standard guidance sheets uh, or, or kind of forms, uh, RIS 3703-TOM uh, defines train dispatch and platform safety. Lighting is defined by the PRM TSI. Uh, the platform width, so that's the width between an object and the, at the edge of the platform is defined by 7016 again as is the crossfall so that's the, the the kind of the angle at which the track the, the platform slopes away behind the coping stone so as you can see there quite a lot going on to think about for engineers indeed um if the wheel rail interface uh, is the kind of the most complex um technical you know engineering interface then um the platform train interface is probably the most complex system interface um in certainly in railway engineering uh, you know, and kind of the railways at large. It's it's very complicated, so lots to think about. Uh, and indeed, you know, our stations rarely entirely comply with any of these standards, uh, or indeed, you know, any one of the standards, let alone all of them or most of them, because we have a legacy system and we don't invest much in it, so don't end up fixing it. But the standards do exist; they are there. So, um, in terms of the actual platform train interface. Uh, the infrastructure TSI, so that's the technical specification for interoperability, EU standards that we bloody well better be main, uh, kind of keeping uh, hold of, because if not, we're just reducing the ability of our engineers to to um, work abroad and to uh, kind of sell our skills internationally. Very stupid. So the, the infrastructure TSI requires platform heights between 550 and 760 millimetres, which is pretty low. Um, the horizontal offsets come from the structure gauge, so actually they're defined by the position of the train, but the, the GB-specific case means that we use the railway group standards. They're the old British Rail, basically defined by the old British Rail standards, railway group standards managed by the RSSB, uh, which gives us those Xs and Ys. So the GB-specific cases, so the railway group standards, give us our platform offset. This is the nationally accepted platform standard. Nothing else is right. Platform X's should be at 730 millimeters, and platform Y's, so that's the offset and the height, the height should be 915 millimeters. Those are the standards, and we should stick to them. So to answer anyone's questions about there being, oh, we should have a, a national standard for this, we do. This is it. That all makes sense so far, everyone following that? Yeah, good stuff. Lovely, right. So, oh, yeah, so we've got our, our sausage we created earlier. Uh, in terms of keeping that, uh, you know, keeping that train sausage, the kinematic envelope, away from the platform. This is the eternal challenge of platforms, is that you're trying to do two things at once. You're wanting the train to be as far as possible from the platform when it's going through at speed. At the same time, you want the train to be as close as possible to the platform when it's stationary. Funnily enough, engineering those two things is quite tricky. So in the case of platforms, uh, actually, this is a little out of date now because there is a specific standard at the platform where... Um, uh, of the definition of, of normal reduced, special reduced and foul clearances. But basically, uh, you can get within about between 25 and 40 millimeters is, is about where you want the edge of the, of the, you know, the, the train to be. Bearing in mind, that's, a that's the distance it will be 
going through at 125 miles an hour, you can understand that that becomes, that's a very tight interface. You have to manage very, very carefully. Uh, so, uh, right, there we go, there we go. Mike Waldridge has had uh, his question answered, which is good. So that's the standards that we have to conform to in terms, and it kind of defines, so these are the clearest definitions from 7073 about how far trains have to be. Um, so that's kind of described what the problem is in that, that we've, or rather it's described the platform train interface. Uh, so, so this is so an understanding of what, of what the challenges are perhaps, but, but let's talk about why, why, why is that a problem? So, so that's, that kind of describes the interface, but why is that interface a problem? Uh, well, to put it bluntly, uh, it's because nationally the platform train interface is a complete shambles. Uh, I think this fairly clearly lays it out. Um, here is a graphic of all of the platforms. I've zoomed in a little bit, but this is a graphic showing the platform edge position for all of the platforms across GB. So I keep saying UK, uh, forgive me. This I should be saying Great Britain because this is only uh, England, Wales and Scotland. So you can see here we have, let's get my old pointer out. So on this axis here, we have uh, the, the vertical. So that's the vertical position. So that's the, uh, the platform Ys. On this axis here, we have the, uh, the platform Xs. So that's the, the distance between the rail and the, the platform edge. So the horizontal position. The green line here, uh, the green band, should I say, is the, um, is the sweet spot. It's where it's right. The stuff that's in orange here is basically we have a bit of tolerance. So we've got a little bit of tolerance from perfection to, to reality. So you can see a bit here, you can see some orange stuff um, uh, here. Uh, there we go, so lovely. Uh, so that's marvellous. So you can see there that the, the green, this little box here is perfection. If, if, you're, if your platform is within that, it's compliant. It's not perfect, but it's compliant. So the orange bands there show, okay, it's, uh, it's within. So for example, these here are compliant offset, but they're not compliant height. Similarly, this is a compliant uh, height, but not compliant offset. So... Uh, you can see there's a big mess. I just want to draw your attention to this box here, which is probably Thameslink, because Thameslink came up with the baffling idea to set their platforms to 1100 millimeters rather than to 900 millimeters. We'll get to why that's a stupid idea soon. Uh, but you can see some other some other bundles here. This is just hopeless. I presume it's a, a few platforms that are a, kind of by one company that are a real issue. But actually, this is, and you can, you, there are clusters of different railway companies or where these things, but you can see generally it's a huge smattering mess, right down to like some platforms with positions down at 400 millimeters, up as high as 1200 millimeters. It's just shambolic, absolutely dismal. Um, yes, this is uh, just, let's not even talk about it. Uh, oh, for our, uh, people able to see, so this is, there's, a, there's, there's red, for anyone who's colorblind, there's, there's maybe a slightly different color band here, uh, here. And here, apologies for anyone who's colorblind or can't see the, the, those colors particularly well. Uh, there we go. It was supposed to be subtle anyway, so you can only barely notice that there's a difference. Because actually, the important color to be looking at is, the, is this sort of green box here. Anyway, right, let's move on. What that manifests itself as is people having to take a running jump to get onto trains and having to basically jump into a mattress to get off them. And that's just able-bodied people. That's just people who can walk around. That's just people who... Um, uh, aren't carrying a pushchair or kids or luggage or haven't you know uh, recently been kneecapped or indeed are uh, not in a wheelchair so people who are in a wheelchair trying to get on the train are absolutely uh, scuppered this is vox also it's particularly bad but actually this isn't the worst 
there are their worst exa- worst example you know Dunkeld and Burnham's probably the worst in the country but Salford Central is another one that jumps to mind absolutely dismal examples um uh, audio description of this mess this mess is a uh, this is a South, an old Southwest Trains branded train coming through Vauxhall with a platform step that looks... It's about at knee height, to be honest. It's like just a little bit below knee height. Absolutely shocking. Just This this train is useless. This is a, a useless situation for most people. Kids, everyone... And, and what it means, you know, people are uncomfortable because there's a big gap. Um, it's just... Yeah. But what does that actually practically manifest itself in? Well, there are a few things. Um Oh, not only that. So not only do we have this issue with platforms being everywhere, but also, uh, why is that fade transfer? Sorry about the fade transition. That's awful. Um, also, we have the issue that we're buying new trains with floor heights, brand new community. So this this is the class 700 I've just put on screen. And in my in, in my view, it's the finest uh, commuting train that runs in Britain. It's the finest metro train we have running in Britain. However, it was procured with a floor height, given that this is a fully electric locomotive, there is no reason for it to have a floor height where it is. However, the floor height is 1,100 millimeters, which means that they've adjusted platforms to fit that through the tight core of, this, of, the, of, of Thameslink and indeed in some outlying stations. But actually, for the majority of outlying stations, you have mixed traffic going through and you can't have a platform at 1,100 millimeters. And I'll explain why in a moment, which means that for, for lots of people, you can get onto the train in the central London. But as soon as you want to get off the train somewhere in the provinces, you're stuck on the train, particularly if you're a wheelchair user. Uh, just dismal. Dreadful, dreadful lack of joined-up thinking. Oh, here's some pictures of high-speed trains. So the first is probably the most interesting one in the UK because it's the uh, Hitachi IEP. You can see the floor height there is 1185 millimetres. Uh, but these are examples of trains. This is actually pulled out of an HS2 report trying to justify where they're putting the platform. The pink dashed line there is the is 915 millimetres, the correct platform height. Uh, and the yellow lines are the are the floor, the, the floor height. So you can see the the AGV there, the awesome AGV is at eleven fifty five. The Zafiro, the Bombardier Zafiro is at twelve forty. Talgo, or you know the uh, loopy loos that they are, have got their uh, floor down at seven hundred fifty five millimeters, kind of indicating that it's possible. But engin- this is not a massively complicated problem. Engineers could be solving this. We could be solving that. You know, the HS two order, for example, was easily a large enough order that the train is going to be entirely bespoke, particularly the classic compatibles. So we could have solved this problem. We could have designed trains that do not have floors at this height. High-speed trains do have additional challenges, though. They've got to fit things. They do have more equipment to fit under the floors. They've got um, things like soundproofing that does increase the position of the, floor, of the floor. There are challenges, but for metro trains, there is no excuse. So, yeah, what does this actually manifest itself in? So I've talked about it being a problem, but what does this problem actually look like? Well, firstly, let's look at harm and the actual harm we are causing people because it's not just about people not being able to get on and off trains. It's people struggling in the process of getting on off trains and indeed hurting themselves. Now, rather upsettingly, I used to have a graph preceding this one showing that we'd not had any fatalities as a result of derailments for 10, 11, 12 years. I deleted that because it's no longer true, which is actually deeply upsetting. However, this one is still uh, still holds. I actually need to update. It's currently for 2017. I need to update this for 2020. Um, but, you know, uh, numbers, and I need to speak to the RSSB to make sure I've got the right figures. So, uh, Bridget Eikoff, if you're watching, which you might not be, probably aren't, you've got better things to be doing, but uh, I'll email you to get the numbers. So, this shows three different lines. The first is, um, so these, are, these numbers are fat- uh, fatalities and weighted injuries. So, it's not just the number of people that are dying 
at the uh, as a result of some rail related uh, risk but it's also uh, it includes injuries uh, major and minor injuries uh, within that to give us a better understanding of you know things that so if we've got a thing that's causing a, a very small injury but it's causing it to a million people a year that's worth thinking about just as much as a thing that's causing a fatality to one person a year so um, actually it's worth thinking about more because one fatality is worth about a thousand minor injuries in this system that we use as engineers to, to kind of manage and handle risk so the the red line is the total fatalities and weighted injuries for for the platform training phase and the purple and the orange lines are kind of for boarding and alighting and actually you can see that basically they're flat so whilst the risk associated and it's still true that the risk associated with traveling by train continues to improve in, in, in the uk in gb you know we're making railways are getting safer this isn't true in the case of this risk to do with the platform train interface. In fact, things are arguably getting worse if you if you kind of take a step back and look at some of the figures. So this is not a good place to, for us to be. As engineers and as, as operators, as anyone in, associated with the rail industry, the idea that we're letting a risk get worse year on year is should be a complete anathema to all of us. Uh, shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Um, and if you want to, to know what that means, oh gosh, I should have looked at fonts here. Never mind, it's a graph, so the font sizes haven't improved. Anyway, right, ignore that. So that it's about it's about fifty fifty between. So so what that means really? So look, if you look at the numbers in the graph, it means that about thirteen pe the equivalent of thirteen people a year are killed as a result of the platform train interface being shoddy on the network. Right. So six around six people who who are killed or the equivalent. Uh, as a result of getting on and off trains, so you know, getting on the train, uh, sorry, getting off the train, falling between the train and the platform, uh, injuries while boarding the train, doors closing on passengers, and then also uh, people who are then impacted who aren't actually getting on and off the train. So if passengers falling between the train and the platform, being struck by, uh, so falling from the platform and then getting hit by a train, falling from the platform onto the track, um, and uh, passengers getting struck by moving trains. I should really have content warning this, but I, I think I gave you enough warning with the fact that I was talking about fatalities. Uh, key point that this is this isn't good we're, we're causing a lot of people to come to harm a year 13 a year not good um oh yeah electric shock when you fall off the platform as well let's um and other accidents to the public so um so that's so i'm gonna just leave that up because i think it's really important and i'm gonna go through the chat to see what people are saying so i've, I've, I've very one track minded this so far but i think it's important Roman Adkra asks, if the standard is a 900mm platform height, and that's also a convenient diameter for IEP wheels, shouldn't the floor and platform be set, both be set higher? We're going to come to that. We are going to come to that. Um, what will be the standard height of the HS2 platforms? They're going to make it higher. So it's going to be 1100mm or, or 1150mm, I believe. Um, uh, here we are. Uh, platform height standards for HS2. Well, they're, they're, they're <laughs> a complicated story. Uh, let's have a look. So yes, it's 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 going to be higher. Yes, bad idea. So here we are. Let's keep going through. So lots of lots of stuff there. Good stuff. Okay, lots of discussion here. So let's continue. Let's continue. The other reason that it's so so not reason number one is that we are causing people to come to harm on the railway because the PTI is is a shambles. Number two is the fact that we are literally excluding people from using trains. Disabled people. Uh, well, one in five people in the UK have a disability. You know, I think it's 20, 22%, 24% of people in the UK have a disability. The number is increasing because we're getting older. Um, and I think half of those people have a mobility uh, issue of some kind, you know, so uh, or, 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 you know, uh, sort of partial, partial sighted or 
uh, or blind or have some some form of sort of uh, some form of disability that means that moving around is, is a bit harder for them. And as a result of that, the PTI issue is a major one because we're literally excluding people from using trains by making this interface such a tricky one to navigate. Um, I think this picture here, uh, this is from Doug, who is uh, currently uh, in quarantine. I, I wish you wish you all, all the best. Uh, so this is not an image that anyone should have to face as a wheelchair user, but basically as any any anyone who's got luggage, you know, pushing a buggy, but particularly disabled users because they're being specifically discriminated against. I think the joke in this image is that this this here has this is the wheelchair accessible bit of the train. There we are. Can you tell me what's wheelchair accessible about this, anyone? Anyone in the chat got a suggestion why this is wheelchair accessible? Uh, this is Salford Central, I believe. And this is, of course, a, a cursed pacer. So the sooner they're burned and destroyed, the sooner HSTs are got rid of, the better. All these trains that have that are completely hopeless accessibility-wise, it's, it's obscene that we're still tra travelling around. You know, we still have them running. The sooner we get rid of them, the better. Um, this is just uh, just appalling. I, I think um, Baroness Tannigray Thompson, DB, puts it better than anyone else which is and i might be slightly paraphrasing but this is the sort of this is the phraseology she uses uh i just want to suffer the same miserable commuting experience that everyone else does i think that perfectly captures the issue here is that basically why are we not letting people who, particularly people in wheelchairs but other people who uh, kind of have some mobility impaired whether it's luggage uh buggies partially sighted you know older so can't lift the knees up a bit these sorts of things why are we excluding them from traveling by train it's not good enough it is not good enough. Um, oh, I was going to put a slide in here talking about DOO. DOO has zero relevance to this this discussion, frankly. So anyone who tries to piggyback off that, uh, yes, there should be people on trains, but that, that's uh, the, whether they're DOO or not is is not relevant, frankly, to this discussion. It isn't. Uh, it's a politicised discussion that doesn't really have any bearing on 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 the safety at the platform train at the at the PTI. Um, given that the real issue are uh, that it's a sticking plaster but the underlying issues are the fact that there is a huge gap for people to fall down if that gap didn't exist the diodes the doo issue wouldn't be a wouldn't be a, a problem so we need to look at the underlying issues um there are lots of discussions to be had about um driver you know kind of driver control operation or you know kind of uh, with their staff being staff should be on trains uh but do is not uh, shouldn't have a bearing on this, so I'm just going to stick that stick that in the air right now. Uh, I'm going to wave around this um, peanut bar, butter bar, to just kind of make my point. So that's why it's a problem. It's a problem because we're causing people to come to harm, and we're excluding people from using trains. So the kind of question question comes is how do we solve it? Um, how do we solve it? Uh, yes. So let's while while I keep this up. Muse Zero, while our platforms are crap, Duo kind of is relevant as you don't have anyone to operate a ramp, you can't have... Yeah, but that's nothing to do with Duo. That's to do with having people on trains or not. Duo is an irrelevance to that. Duo is about whether the, the, the guard has a particular role in opening and closing doors. Um, Duo is, is, is a side issue to this. What this is a discussion of is whether there is someone on, on hand on, the, on either the platform or on the, on the train to, to operate the ramp, which is a different discussion. Um, so, anyway, uh, that is that. The next thing, oh, right, right, David Shepard. Wheelchair ramps are a short-term Band-Aid solution. Absolutely, they're a rubbish solution because they involve uh, someone in a wheelchair having to think, is that ramp going to be available when I get to the station? Having an anxiety about that for their entire journey, having an anxiety about being forgotten about in a train because they can't get on or off the train themselves. The, the, the ramps are not the long-term solution. They shouldn't be the short-term solution, but they, 
certainly not the medium and long-term solution. Um, so, uh, yes, let's move on to the next thing, which is a picture of this man here. <laughs> He's going to be really angry at me for putting this up. How do you solve the problem? Well, you speak to this gentleman here. David, if, you're, uh, if, you're, uh, if your mentions now catch fire, uh, apologies, Dave Powell, uh, of Mersey Travel. Um, but this is, a, this is a, an engineer who has, uh, and it's as part of a team, uh, it's not just a, a one-man effort, but in terms of being able to coordinate and, and, and having the right attitude and knowing the right people to speak to, both on, in terms of engineering and technical solutions, but also politically, and also the right people to listen to in terms of the customer, the passengers who are having to deal with this stuff. Uh, in terms of tying it all together, um, I think we owe a lot to this gentleman, and I'm going to be having him on a rail matter to talk about it, I hope. Uh, please, please say yes when I ask you to. Once the 777s are running, we will um, we'll get you on to talk about the whole process and what it actually practically looks like. Because I'm doing quite an arm-wavy solution here, but I think it's important to, to point that out. So, anyway, um, uh, yes, here we are. So, talk to this man. Uh, why? We'll, well, we'll get to that in a moment. But I've broken it down to three steps. David, you're going to be so angry at me. Probably already are, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> number one, use the standards that we already have, everyone. So what do I mean by that? Well, firstly, we've got two standards that define things, really. Um, we've already got... I've talked about the standards that we use in the big railway, but I haven't talked about a kind of a pretty important set of standards here. This is RVAR, the Rail Vehicle Accessibility Regulations. These are essentially considered not to apply on network rail infrastructure, on the national railway system. Why? I do not know. Uh, because, it's, because the industry is lazy and doesn't like doing anything that's good and makes people safe and comfortable. And we are completely beholden to the Treasury, abolish the Treasury, because they don't like spending cash. So we weren't allowed to use RVAR for the mainline network, despite the fact that it's used on systems like Metrolink, uh, time where Metro uh, uses RVAR. RVAR mandates a level... Uh, well, actually, we'll get David to talk about it specifically, but basically RVAR mandates a tighter fit between the train and the platform. You have to think of it as a system. You cannot think of the, of the platform train interface as one thing or another, as just trains or just platforms. It's a system. It has to be a system. And actually, it's even beyond that. It's not just the train, not just the platform and that small interface. There's a, there's a bigger picture at play. But in terms of, the, in terms of actually getting that interface right... The first instinctive thing is, well, have them match, right? Have them match. And that's what RVAR mandates. But we don't use it on the big network because of reasons. So um, so use the standards that we have already. Um, I often get asked the question, and indeed it has come up in the chat tonight, would a higher platform solve the problem? Well, let's have a think about that. So lots of studies have actually looked at this. Uh, they looked at increasing the height of the platform to reduce the vertical stepping distance. So you've got the train usually a bit higher for historic reasons that you've got the train the floor height a bit higher. Um, so there's, there's some various footstep positions because train footsteps are not all in the same place. And here's our, our current standard, 730.915 platform. So let's have a look at some different heights. Um, in order to pass the train safely, you have to increase the horizontal offset. So you end up with this big gap. So if you increase the height to, say, 1,115 millimetres... You end up, so on screen here is, this is really difficult to describe for the audio only people, but basically you've got this stepped shape where the, you have to push the platform back to allow vehicles to pass through. Why is that? Well, it's because in the UK, the way that, plat, the way that train gauge, the, the, the allowable structure, uh, sort of vehicle gauge for trains, is it does this. So down here, kind of below this point, is the, particularly for freight, is the wagon, so that's the wagon there, they're sort of there, lovely, 
uh, Ella's going to be shouting at me for not having my Wacom yet. And at this point up here, uh, this bit is the is the sort of the the load. Uh, there we go, load. There we go, load. Uh, often it's containers, but it can be all sorts of different things. Indeed, sort of you know passenger vehicles also protrude a bit. But you essentially get this protrusion above platform height. So about a meter above the rail level, you get this protrusion, and that's why you have to push the platform back if you increase its height. So for a mixed traffic railway like we have in the UK, increasing the platform height is not a good idea. It is a, not a goer. You end up with uh, a massive gap, and the gap, arguably, is um, is actually the thing that's not so. So, if you increase the platform height, uh, you end up with um, so you end up with this gap here. So let's skip back a couple. Of, actually, you end up with oh, also I'm going to make the make the ink disappear. What you end up with is if you've got the platform here, the, the sort of the sorry the footstep here, you end up with a really big gap. This big gap, which is bad. This is bad. We don't want that. So, increasing platform height is a bad idea. Don't do it. Crossrail, you lose lots of points here because you decided to do it in the central section, which means that all the crossrail platforms that are that used that are used by different trains outside of the central network um, are not accessible. You don't have level boarding, so that was a really stupid idea, wasn't it? Likewise, Thameslink with your stupid platform ramps that don't work very well—that's also a really stupid idea. You should have procured train metro trains that are actually designed to fit the infrastructure. For goodness' sake, for crying out loud! Um, I said I was going to get angry. So what you need to do is procure trains that actually fit. Hooray! We have a standard. So our platforms broadly fit within that standard. Okay, work to be done. But actually, the standard exists. The platform standard exists, and it's a safe one. Get trains that fit properly. So also, okay, the two things. So the first thing you can have, there is always a gap. And also, not just a gap, but on straight platforms, okay, it's not such an issue. But when you've got curved platforms, curved pla overthrow, um, Gap fillers are one option, but actually you need to think, you know, so yeah, with curve overthrow, you need something that's more than a gap filler to, to sort of deal with the fact that you might have a train, you might have a platform here, a curve platform, and you might have a train door in, you know, in the middle of the train here. That gap, therefore, is potentially quite a big one. Well, what do you do? You get a gap filler that's on the train. This is not scary, crazy, uh, untested technology. The Swiss have been doing this for decades. This is nothing fancy. It's just a system that's attached to the train has a little optical sensor uh, that goes, uh, that retracts the, tr the, do the, the little door, flings out um, and reduces the gap nicely. So you've just got a little thing. And it essentially means that you have a uh, broadly smooth interface. There are, okay, it's not perfect. And some motorized wheelchairs, I think there, there can be some issues. I think, um, I think for this one, it's okay. I think actually most users should use it, but there are some issues. So it's not... There's still work to be done to perfect this, but this is this is the solution. This is the, the this is the the broad answer is to have this the gap filler attached to the train. There's some other clever stuff going on here. The clever Toblerones that uh, reduce the chance of people falling down the side of the train as well. Um, this the, the class seven seven is brilliant when it comes to this. It's just a, it's a brilliant little train, um, and the whole system approach they've taken is brilliant, which is why I want David on because I just want I'll, this is the, the approach that we need to be looking at UK wide, which is why I put David's face at the start. Sorry, David, um, but most importantly. It works with the existing platform standard, so that that, that you know, procure the trains that that fit. Happy days. Um, I suppose the other key thing is, uh, does this cause problems for other trains? Oh, sorry. The conclusion there is use the use the current standards we have. That's kind of my point. Uh, does this cause problems for other trains? So here's our pictures of other trains again. No, because it's the standard platform offset. This is what all trains are designed to fit through. So having platforms set to the correct standard, even through curves is not an issue. Freight trains will fit past. So for everyone saying Merseyrail can do that because they've got 
a, a dedicated system. No, Mersey Rails platforms are pretty much all freight cleared. I think other than the underground ones, and even the underground ones will probably have some level of freight clearance, but certainly they're freight cleared. They have to clear freight through, so they have to match the, the national standard. So no, it, it, setting platforms to the correct height and then having a train that fit does not cause problems for other trains. It does not. Um, so yeah, number two, I've already been ranting and railing about it. Let's just keep this on screen because I need to make the point aggressively, but also let's have a look through the chat. So what's been said? Um, Madden, Roaming Adcrat says, that is beautiful and maddening. Uh, me, yes, I, I don't know. Um, oh, my uh, bad drawing, probably. Apologies. Um, RVR was superseded by the PRMTSI. No, RVR uh, incorporates the TSI, the PRMTSI. So there's a there's an element of both. The, the TSI refers to both RVR and um, and the railway group standards at the platform for the platform train interface as well. So um, ish, there we are. Abolish the treasury. There we go. Lovely. What else have we got? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, the Treasury answer is to get rid of freight. Yes, it is. But uh, Maggie Simpson would go and throttle people if they did that. Uh, rightly so. So, um, uh, Right, yes. So, there we go. There's lots of chat going on here. David Shepard asks about trampoline-like things between carriages to stop passengers falling between carriages. Um, falling between carriages is a slightly different issue, so long as the door is sufficiently far away. It becomes a bit of an, a different issue. Falling down between the carriages and the platform is a challenge, and that's where the... the well, in fact, let's go... Let's just let me mash here and show you the beautiful class 777 with its clever Toblerones that stop that happening. So you can see not just Toblerones on the, the, the kind of the side body of the vehicle, but also on the doors. These Toblerones are there. To, so when the doors are open, it stops people from tumbling in. These Toblerones uh, deflect people back onto the platform. and They, they, they don't protrude, uh, protrude very much. They fit within the sort of standard vehicle envelope that's allowed. Uh, and they're just an excellent little risk mitigation uh, factor in making these trains super, super safe. I, I just, uh, the, these trains are brilliant. In my opinion, you know, all the other manufacturers are just a bit too slow to the party. Stadler are sweeping up and this should become the standard metro train uh, in the UK. This should become as ubiquitous as the as the PEP derived and the Mark III derived uh, units were. And indeed, they should become as ubiquitous as the, as the Electrostar family is in London, uh, you know. Sorry, Bombardier, or whatever you call nowadays, but um, you're too slow to the party. Um, as I was saying, the Class 345 here, uh, you know, wonderful train and everything, but it was built, it was procured, should I say, uh, the wrong shape, the wrong size. It's an electric train. It does not have enough kit to justify, you know, it's, uh, it's not a high-speed train. There is no justification for this train having a floor height where it is, none at all, other than... Uh, the fact that government, bearing in mind this this order, the Aventra order, was the next family after the the the, the Star family, so the the Electra Stars is the next development, and they had the opportunity, given the scale of the Crossrail order, to retool. If government had said we need to have a platform, we're going to procure trains, metro trains to that correct floor height, that would have then meant the seven hundred one, all of the other Aventra derivatives, the ones in the West Midlands, all of the Aventra family which is a huge family of trains that's now actually coming to an end, um, that whole family would have had the correct floor. Instead, we've got trains that are probably going to last for 40 years that are that have been built wrong and don't fit uh, into our railway system properly. It's absolutely baffling. Uh, utterly baffling. Oh, John Maddening, as in Where There's Your Problem podcast. Thanks, Romy Adekrat. Yes, uh, sideways reference there. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, right. So being angry about this. Um, no, yeah. All Star DA. So whatever All Star DA are doing next, the the the, the thing that supersedes the uh, the Aventra needs to be low floored. Uh, likewise, so so um, Will Roberts, if you're watching, and all the lovely people at Bombardier who had me around their site recently, um, 
you do great stuff, but you need to you need to be building your trains. You need to be pushing. I know that you're lobbying to keep the same tooling, so you don't have to change too much. But frankly, you need to be ahead of the curve. Government isn't making the change. You need to do it. You need to design your trains for passengers, uh, not for pockets of treasury. Oh, and number three, of course. Um, some uh, just checking out the chat. Uh, yes. All oh, right. What have we got here? So people are being. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, people being like, I'm sorry you can't go on this train, but we don't have a magic money tree yet. Oh, as a bit of a side, if anyone ever uses the magic money tree thing seriously in a discussion, basically it's not worth having a conversation with them because they don't know anything about economics. Uh, right, number three. So we had number one, number two. Number three, start a rolling national program of platform corrections to fit the current standard. So we do have an issue in this country. What time is it? Oh, God, it's five past eight. I'm so sorry, everyone. We're running out. out. Uh, we're running over. So this picture I put up, this is in, This is actually a, a picture I did when I took the other picture of David when I was on my little tour of Merseyrail. David, I will be writing the article about that, but it's been paused because of Brexit and because of COVID because it has to, come, it has to have relevance to the last slide of this bit. It all makes sense. Everyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, you'll continue to not know what I'm talking about. But you can see here, this is um, a, a variety of constructions of platform. Uh, this is a great way to show the many challenges that exist at platforms. I do a spend a lot of my time doing platform work. Um, so here we have a traditional um, traditional brick riser wall, the little bit of uh, corbelling, and and then see here these are the coping stones. I think this is quite a nice one because it's an integral. It's a, is it a coping stone that's integral with it with its own? Um, oh no, maybe it isn't because the lines aren't lining up. Anyway, you do get some. Oh, these ones are though. These are coping stones that lie up, that, that have their own um, tactiles at the back. There, the tactiles are very important. Um, so yeah, see, that's nice. This is they've done some good work. They've also resurfaced the challenges when you when you adjust the platform here. So when you're adjusting, let's get a different color up because that's impossible to see. Whenever you make adjustments to the platform, uh, you know height or offset. You're also impacting on what is generally a non-compliant crossfall. That's the that's the way the platform is falling. Often it you know often it's pretty level, so it's quite difficult to you know if you adjust it, you end up making it towards the track, which is a really big no-no because you know wheelchairs and pushchairs and luggage then roll towards uh, the platform. Uh, sorry, roll towards the tra track and oncoming trains. So you want that to go backwards, uh, but that often then means things like you know like I don't know signs, posts. Uh, lifts, lift doors, thresholds, all these things then need to be adjusted as well. So when you're doing a full platform uh, renewal that involves completely resurfacing the platform, it often involves a lot of work. And so it should, because when it's done, it's done. That's it. You just need to then make sure the track's in the right place and maintain your track properly after that. Uh, or in an ideal world, just put slab track through all platforms, but that's maybe another discussion. Um, some of the other challenges you have with construction is these are, the, these are stupid harp units. This time uh, it's uh, the former... What are these? I suppose it's just uh, Midland, Midland, the old um, Midland sec, uh, region doing its thing here. These these aren't um, like, you get loads of these in the southern region. Uh, these stupid British Rail harp units. These are British Rail harps, and they're uh, they're dismal. They're absolutely horrible. They uh, they crumble. They fall to bits. Uh, these the, the the old sort of um, coping stones that were on top of them generally have a, have a nasty habit of just cracking in the middle and kind of falling in. They're just a nightmare. Um, so. Um, so what we do need to do is um, is basically suck it up and make the changes. Invest the money. It's a you know if, if you do it as a large capital investment program, the cost is irrelevant. Uh, the only thing you need to do is ramp up the skills. And the best way to do this sort of work is an, as part of a major program, not bits and pieces here and there. It's part of a rolling program, part of a strategy. 
um, ideally tied to talk areas or, or indeed tied to diagrams, so tied to the sort of where one train family fits, doing all the platforms within that as part of a strategy. Um, again, this is why we want David on to talk precisely about that. But you basically, you, you, you make sure the track is in, in a good alignment. So you do the, the track tamp first. You make sure that the platform offsets are, are kind of set up so that they're, um, so you've got the right position. You set the platform, happy days. Uh, it involves a lot of work. Well, we'll get to that. What do those adjustments actually look like in practice? Well, there's a variety. So this is my absolute bread and butter day jobs, day job stuff. Um, so um, for starters, you've got the nice, easy adjustment, which is where the copper only needs a little bit of movement, and you only need maybe a little strip of uh, of tarmac behind. This is Don. This is all. Is it all at Doncaster? Yeah, this is all Doncaster. So this is a this is these are all to my design, uh, or rather to my team's design, should I say? Um, I was lead designer on this, CRE on this, rather than uh, actual designer myself. So a little bit of adjustment, little strip of asphalt to just correct the the, the platform, and then the the offsets. You know, the the, the cross wall apparently is is fine here, so that, that's great. Although fine probably means not so bad that it's causing a problem. Then you get where you need actually you need to to correct quite a large strip that becomes more complicated. And also you can see so this this can be a, a little patch, you know, maybe 10, 15 meters or less. This clearly you can see here is this kind of a long section of the platform that needs correcting there. Quite a lot lot going on. Um, this is another section where actually under here was a uh, was a hole, and for whatever reason, unlike an empty hole with just a thin layer of tarmac, about three inches of tarmac with nothing underneath it. Let's not talk about it. We're not telling anyone. This isn't live. This isn't going out on record. So we're, we're, we're safe. We're in the, we're... And there was also like this weird ramp. I'll, I, sh I tried to find an image, but I can't. It's on Twitter. So if you search for Doncaster Platform 1 and my Twitter handle, you'll find the picture. There was actually a ramp, like like honestly, like a skateboard ramp. So what we had to do is completely rebuild this section of the platform. Uh, total resurfacing, fill it all up, uh, and, and resurface right the way back to the drainage at the back. And that we were lucky because the drainage was okay and we had enough space. But if your platform has a fall that's towards the track, like this, uh, as you can see, fall towards the track, then the, and your drainage is is in a, you have to rebuild. You know, the drainage is in the, such a position that you have to rebuild all the drainage and resurface the platform and correct door thresholds and reset your scopers. All of that starts getting pretty major, and so it should. Again, once you've done it. It's done. You just have to maintain the track properly to ensure that that interface stays correct. So, um, yes. So, for example, uh, the kind of the smallest end of this, to give you an idea of scale in terms of cost, um, excluding Schedule 4, which is the cost of, um, of closing the railway, Copra adjustments can take about 6 to 12 months from, from sort of telling, deciding it needs to happen to designing it and building it. And you're looking at anything from fifty thousand pounds up to up to millions of pounds for for copra adjustments only. So that's an idea of scale. Whereas when you get to a big station like I don't know a good example of a major station that's long overdue a complete reconstruction, uh, certainly in terms of platforms, but in terms of lots of other stuff, Clapham Junction uh, is so. When you get to the big stations, they're long generally they're long if they haven't had their platforms corrected, they're long overdue a massive overhaul anyway. Uh, and so you're looking at you know. Anything from one million quid for, for kind of major platform level reconstruction up to hundreds of millions of pounds, and and you know two to five years plus. You know Clapham's been in the works. The planning for Clapham reconstruction's been in the works for a very long time. It better happen. It better not get carried out by the fact that DFT aren't being funded by, sorry, the fact that TFL aren't being correctly funded by government. Um, but generally, if it's a big platform, the chances are it needs a reconstruction anyway. So do the work then. Right. We've got a couple of questions. Is everyone all right with the fact I'm overrunning? I do apologize. Um, so let's have a look. 
David Shepard asks what I think of Harrington humps. Harrington humps are basically where you, um, rather than correcting the whole platform, you just correct the section where the where the doors are. My issue with that is that it's temporary, a bit rubbish, and um, if you've got other trains, it's not really a solution. Uh, so it's it's not it's not a good solution. It's, it's, there maybe is a temporary solution while you've got the new trains running around, but it's a temporary solution. The platform needs to be rebuilt to the correct position. Why are we? Why are we? What reason do we have not to be doing this work? Um, the, the, you know, the money is free right now. We should be investing in doing this. As a, if you did it as a major capital project, money wouldn't be an issue, and it would employ a lot of very skilled people. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, S Southwest Railways own Clapham Junction. Actually, no, I think it's a network rail one, but it's also a major TFL would be inputting a lot into the project. And if they decide they're not going to because they haven't got um, the cash to, then it's likely that that will reduce the propensity for national government to do it as well. Um, right, so this is... Right, if if, um, if if a certain someone is watching... Will, uh, I've, I've, I've nicked this picture from our discussions of things we're going to do because um, I do like it. Eventually, this will become a heat map, everyone. Uh, spoilers. But this is a, just a little hint as to some of the... So I, I, there are tools that people waving are developing to sort of very quickly get an idea of where some of these problems problem areas are and the scale of the issue but let me tell you the scale of the issue is massive um i think only about like some horrible tiny fraction of it's like 20 percent one in five platforms is actually entirely compliant most of them are not compliant uh, you know have either all you know part or all are, are non-compliant but what we need to do is be looking at and, and thinking of a proper strategic approach to making these corrections um that map might go out soon but it needs to, as I say, it needs to be a national rolling program. You have a team that work their way around. They get really good at doing it. They know, particularly if they're regional, and they know sort of some of the problems that crop up. They are the ones that will then, you know, having that team of skilled people, they're going to be uh, working, you know, the, you know as a team of designers who know the issue, who know who to work with in that grail to solve the problem because you've always got to discuss with the, the route gauging engineer, the route asset manager, uh, the assistant asset managers, the, the track maintenance engineers, the, the the station managers, all the people, you start getting to know these people in the regions and start developing relationships that they know what you're going to give them. And so they start making the, the approval process nice and easy. Designers get good at doing the right thing. By it being a rolling program, you can be clever about the strategy and about, you know, if, if, if you've got an issue with some, some last minute issue causes a problem for you, um, not being able to access site, but you've got all the kit, then you can fairly rapidly um, turn around shifting that kit if you've got a strategy, a bigger strategy, rather than doing things piecemeal. Um, plus, you train all the right skilled people. Um, and, oh, by the way, if you've got questions for me, make sure you at my name in so I can see them, because I, I generally whiz through. There's so much chat these days that I, I kind of whiz through. So if you've got a question, James particularly, um, James Welling, if you've got a question, I'll, I'll, I will answer this one now. But if you've got others, at me in so I can spot it. So a national program is very important. James Welling asks, uh, why has Greater Anglia Network Rail, why, why are they making such a messy job adjusting their platforms for the new Stadler retractable step? Well... Um, I don't specifically know for that project, but if I can talk about wider issues within Network Rail about that, it's often because Network Rail are the ones who are being... There's, there's a huge battle that happens between Network Rail and the train operating companies who are introducing the trains who then are separately owned by rolling stock operating companies. They need to be got rid of too. Um, but anyway, the train operator and, the, and Network Rail have eternal battles over who's going to pay for the adjustments. Network Rail go, well, it was fine until you introduced your new train. The train operating company goes... Yeah, but your platforms aren't compliant. So why should we be paying to turn to, to create compliance on platforms that are knackered? And that battle lasts for ages, brings lots of very, very well-paid people into rooms who then throw things around for, you know, 
several days a month and cost thousands and thousands of pounds without actually solving anything. If you had a rolling program, um, if you had a rolling program, uh, those problems would go away because there'd be a capital fund to do it. Those, so so you'd, by the strategy, you'd pull away from that issue. So it, it's a good point to, to raise that. Um, Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul uh, James uh, of the YouTubes uh, makes a very good point, which is putting aside the silly politics, I suspect the skilled workforce would be more of a constraint than money. Uh, yes, that's absolutely true. There's a lot for railway engineers to deliver. And we often end up kind of juggling our way through platform delivery work in amongst all the other stuff. And it's not perhaps the most glamorous work for the civil engineers or indeed the track engineers. So by having a dedicated team with a strategy, not only do you, um, by having a long-term strategy, you can employ the right people, you can grow the workforce properly, but also, you know, both in terms of design, approval, and also construction. But also, um, by it being a strategic project, you give it some kudos, and people maybe have an interest in being involved in that overall, particularly have the sight of the fact that you're making the railway safer and more accessible. Um, so... Uh, David Shepard asked the question, is it easier to do this on branch lines where they don't have lots of different trains? It doesn't make a difference. If you're setting the platform to the standard offsets, it doesn't matter what the trains are because all the trains have to fit that offset. Um, it does make it easier because you've got fewer trains, so the schedule four costs are lower and the, and the, the access is easier in terms of actually um, booking a blockade or a uh, possession on the railway. Um, what does accessibility legislation say? Could that force network rail? Max Wiss asks that. Uh, Max, you, you make a good point. But as we've seen with the continual delaying of getting rid of the pacers, uh, firstly, government doesn't have any, any interest or impetus behind it because the Treasury are just shuffling their feet because they know the slower things happen, the less money they have to spend. Um, even though it's not their money, it's money that doesn't actually exist. These are government guilts. Uh, it's free. What it means is that the admin people within the DFT, uh, sorry, within uh, uh, HMT, the, the Treasury, um, they have to fill in forms to get to, to make investment happen, and they're not interested in doing that. They don't see themselves as wealth creators. Sorry about Anglesey, by the way, on this map. Yeah, it's missing. Uh, they don't see themselves as wealth creators. They see themselves as just a gate with a pile of gold bars behind them that thankfully... Part of me thinks Gordon Brown selling the gold bars is a good idea because it at least started to get rid of some of the stuff that the, the uh, Treasury thought they were protecting. Um, uh, Hyde Park Now Photo says there are, there are no subtitles on this. Yeah, I don't have any money to, to pay someone to do live subtitles, but there are the YouTube subtitles after the fact are pretty good. So apologies that this isn't immediately accessible. Um, it's a very good point, yes. Um, but I... So for people who are, who who uh, can't hear this very well, yes, it's not it's not great. However, after the fact, it does have. If you want to watch it again, there are some, the, the Google subtitle, the YouTube subtitles are, are pretty good actually. I do go through and check that they they aren't too bad. Um. Anyway, right. What if they rebuild the paces to the correct height? Says Ella. Oh no, just pulling my leg. Ella, uh, you cancelled. You cancelled. So what do we have to do? Given that it's 2019, this they always end up an hour and a half, don't they? I'm so sorry, everyone, for sticking with this. But it's important, frankly. It's really important. It's important that everyone has the understanding of what the issues are and what, and, and, and perhaps an understanding of why we're not doing it. Uh, hashtag abolish the treasury. So number one, uh, use the standards we have, including RVAR. So basically mandate RVAR on the mainline network. Number two, stop buying the wrong bloody trains. And number three, start a national program of rolling, a uh, national rolling program of, of, of platform upgrades so that the platform's in the right place. So it's a system approach. Uh, empower network rail to, to 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 say that to just stop having the discussions about who pays for it and start just doing it get the right trains because even if you haven't fixed the platforms 
trains that fit the, the, the right trains will still fit non-compliant platforms and that way you're not locking yourself into an infinite cycle of oh we can't get the right trains because the platforms aren't right oh we can't build there's no point correcting the platforms because the trains aren't right do the right the, the, the trains are the quick and the easy cheap thing comparatively speaking get the right trains first particularly when we're at the pro at the moment we're buying lots of new trains so now's the time to get that right one two three it's as easy as that ha uh, Ella, I'm only joking, you're a hero. Right, so uh, the other thing you can do is support the campaign for level boarding. Um, this is a group of people, engineers, uh, politicians. Uh, I have to say Tanny is one of the people involved, actually, Tanny Gray-Thompson, uh, and others. Uh, some people who are involved in the network rail beep, uh, who are brilliant. Uh, lots and lots of uh, lots and lots and of disabled activists and campaigners who are sick of, you know, being you know being treated as second class citizens but when they want to try and travel by train so uh that has gone a bit quiet there should there's there, there's lots of stuff that should happen with this fairly soon but uh as you imagine covid but also brexit before that has gum brexit is gumming up the works of, of government meaning that anything that's other than brexit just gets pushed to one side so um something like this an issue that's really important to a lot of people just gets completely forgotten about by parliament because it's panic moving from one chaos chaotic disaster to the next but also covid has somewhat um slowed things down too so uh, yes we've just as, as lord orc points out we've just got to the end of a massive bout of new rolling stock being bought much of it uh having in fact the vast majority of it being built incorrectly and incompatibly with the the rail the, the rail network that we have and most of being electric as well if it's an electric train it doesn't have as much kit to fit underneath diesel units are a bit more challenging because you've got to fit the tra the diesel units underneath but even stadler have come up with a clever solution to that which is having the the bonkers little intermediate power unit so if you've got a train anything under the 100 miles an hour uh, that's not a good enough excuse anything under 100 miles an hour can have a low floor over that things become a little more complex but also with long distance services those are more uh they're less frequent they stop for a little bit longer um and so a ramp isn't necessarily a catastrophe on on long distance services certainly for for commuter suburban we need to be fixed like, okay we've got longer to fix the long distance trains problem but in terms of commuting regional local trains that are electric there is no excuse um right here we go so David Shepard points out, back in the day, there were wheelchair protesters who literally crawled underneath Routemaster buses until TfL stopped saying they wanted to keep them. Uh, uh, campaign for level boarding is great. Yes, uh, just absolutely. The thrash cupboard. Everyone's talking about the thrash cupboard on the uh, Stadler units. Yes, indeed. Let's bring my face back. Uh, hello, everyone. Oh. The Giruno is a 250 kilometer an hour uh, low floor train. Yes, but it probably doesn't have to fit within the tighter UK or the tighter GB loading gauge in terms of the width of the vehicle. That is the challenge is both is that we have platforms that are higher um, than, than European trains, but the the space is narrower to fit the fit passengers. So we reduce pa uh, capacity if we um, arguably we, we increase. Yeah, there's, there's an issue there with, with OK, most trains in, in Europe are low floored. But they're also a bit fatter. Oh, my voice. I have a little drink of... Right, send me questions. Um, regarding the 700s, eventually lower them their core platforms. You can't lower the 700s. You have to just scrap them. Get new trains that actually fit. Which is a shame because I think the 700s are good trains. Um... Uh, David Shepard asks, can we put, can we not just have boarding ramps that pop out of high-speed trains to deal with the high-speed footprint? Yes, and that's precisely what HS2 are doing. And I expect that technology to get rolled out um, as a standard for other long-distance services too. 
given that my hope and expectation is that the the HS2 Classic compatibles will become uh, the long distance standard train in in the UK in the longer term, uh, yes, that is the solution, and that's the solution that's being implemented. Um, Robin Weston, I'm sure we could have a Project Moonshot to fix the high speed train space constraint. Yeah, exactly. This is a frustrating thing. I hear a lot of challenges. There are certain people who who make the suggestion that oh, but if you don't have much of a step, people are going to trip over it and injure themselves. It's like, hmm. Firstly, uh, only in the weird, only in the environment where there's a curb and a non curb is that an issue? Because it's not very obvious to see where the two of them are. In a train platform, you've got edge, you know, door edge lighting. You've got the the, the awareness you are making a proactive move to step or wheel onto the train or off the train. Uh, and we are currently killing, thir- killing or or doing the equivalent of killing, you know, killing or injuring the equivalent of thirteen people a year with the current approach. So clearly, the pl- current approach does not work. The absolute starting place has to be that you have a level floor. Of it, you know, and you on the train, and you have the platform uh, to fit the position of the platform. You have that inter- get that interface right, and then you can play with the engineering and start innovating over improving it, making sure that you really do avoid the little bump that potentially wheelchair wheels can get stuck into. Because if you've got a step down and a step up, a wheel can get quite can be quite difficult to pull up out of that. Or motorized uh, sort of um, uh, mobility scooters or, or or wheelchairs can actually be a bit of an issue, kind of uh, on some of the. St- so those are things. Those are engineering things that engineers can solve. But it needs to be the people above that, the specifiers, need to understand this stuff. Rail Delivery Group needs to absolutely get on board with this. They are they've been dragging their feet, or they've been you know absolutely slow on this and pushing the wrong message in a lot of cases. So, um, you've been do- yeah RTG get on this. You need to push level boarding and this solution, the Mersey Travel solution, the Mersey Rail solution is the right one. We need to be pushing it nationally. Um, Oh, yes, thank you. So, Bill Harvey, what about the P-Way people who think the Earth is uh, sinking, keep adding ballast? Well, that's an eternal problem that P-Way maintainers do. They add ballast, the, pla- the, the track goes up. But the way that that works is that eventually you, you, you go through the ballast cleaner and drop the track again. That's just how track maintenance works. You generally have four maintenance tamps of about 25 mil each, and then you drop it back down with a, with a pass of the ballast cleaner and maybe the track renewal machine. So, yes, uh, but also we need to be using, we can maintain track without adding loads of ballast underneath it. And through platforms, we need to be using the right datum plates to ensure that the track stays exactly where it's supposed to be. And in the longer term, use slab track. Oh, there we go. How is everyone? Are we all? <laughs> that was a bit of a rush. It's uh, 2026. Let's go back to the video. Uh, yes, so that was in, in audio form. Hopefully, that's not too uh, too crazy when it goes into all of the various podcasting platforms. Um, oh yes, it's um, yes podcasting. Uh, sorry if that was dreadfully. Also, I'm sad about the lack of intro video. It's upsetting. R.I.P. the intro video. That's got me irritated today. Really riled me up. So next, oh yes, the standard adverts. The adverts. Oh. Patreon, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. Thank you every for all Patreon supporters. You're brilliant. Um, you th- th- This wouldn't happen without you, literally. Like, it's becoming harder and harder to keep on top of things. And um, the fact that I've got you as supporters uh, basically means I have no excuse to not create things like Rail Matter. So uh, while you continue to support me, Rail Matter will continue to happen. Uh, Discord. There's so much going on in the Discord. GarethDennis.co.uk slash Discord. I can't even begin to describe what's going on in there. It's like, it's just, it's chaos. It's a... Uh, it's a menagerie of, of, of mania, but it's, it's joyous as well. And if you don't fancy any of that, but you do kind of want to chuck me some kind of spending pennies, then paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis is also an option you have. Um, people are saying play the internet. I can't because oh, I, I could because it'll have the wrong... If I do this, will it work? Wait a minute. 
Watch, watch this, watch this. No, that's the wrong one. Oh, I deleted it off. It's, it's not a scene on my OBS anymore. That's just an empty side. That's a bit bleak, isn't it? Harriet's not with us anymore because it's not the joint episode. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, there's no one there. Anyway, right, so bonus, bonus, uh, bonus things for people. Next week... Next week isn't live. It's not live. It's going to be a. a, a it's going to be a, because I'm off doing bits and pieces up in places. Hopefully, if if COVID stops, it doesn't stop it happening. Um, I'm going to be doing activities. Uh, but I, Richard Long, the brilliant Richard Long, uh, is joining us to talk about the island of tube trains. Woo-hoo. That should be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to this. Some of you in the chat were requesting history of Isle of Wight trains, and that's precisely what um, this episode is going to be. So. That should be fun. I, 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 I say I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I've done it. It was great. It was really fun. <laughs> so come and join. Uh, come and join us for that one. Um, and uh, it only really remains for me to say um, to say my normal cheerios. Let's. I'll just go through and see any questions first. Um, play the intro. I can't, Ella. I'm sorry. Um, lots of interesting discussions. Lots and lots of interesting discussions. Yeah, lots of questions. If all platforms are adjusted, why would you bother uh, with continuing to buy right, uh, wrong in city trains from, um, from is it Jan or Jan uh, Verkoren? Uh, yeah, it's a good point. So the, the, the issue is mostly that we've got, a, we have that platform offset and you'd think that we'd have already been procuring trains to the right place, but it's easy to not, because of all the manufacturers, certainly the big manufacturers lobbying hard to not change their tooling because all their tooling, all their, design is all based around having that particular floor height reducing the floor height would introduce they'd have to think they'd have to actually redesign their platform their inverted commas platform as in the train platform as in the sort of uh the design you know aventra as a platform electrostar as a platform uh you know the the uh the city to do is a platform that siemens is platform for 700 these are all platform train platforms so they basically a template of a train that they then roll out and just modify ever so slightly stadler have this down because they do short run orders and they can basically design a train to what you want and frankly that is all credit to them and they're they're building trains in the uk now i um uh yeah all credit to stadler they have cornered the market on this and i hope every success to them because they've thought they've they've worked collaboratively with organizations that have delivered for for passengers for people actually want to use the railway um, and, and also, as a last point, this is another thing that devolution and my proposed structure for the railways helps with, because the only reason Mersey Rail have managed to do what they've done, and Mersey Travel have managed to do what they've done, is because they have devolved powers. So, devolved powers. Anyway, that's quite enough of that. Go into the Discord for, for more chatter. I will see you all uh, in two weeks' time. But join live for, because I'll premiere it, so join live for the, rail, the normal Rail Natter chat next week. Cheerio! Cheerio, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Cheerio!